Jesse Adams here from the University School Boards. Um, Jesse's a great teacher. I had him in several <laughs> sessions in orientation. Well, thank so you. I appreciate <laughs> that. All right, so we're going to move. Some folks over may there. want to shift around. Um, we don't have a clicker clicker, so I'm going to do a couple things from over here. Uh, I apologize for the folks on this side of the room because I'm talking to your back. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I've got some things where some answers pop up, so you need to you know. You can go Okay. Um, let's, uh, I want, number one, I want to say thank you to the board uh, and the superintendent for inviting me in. Uh, this is my first opportunity to be in front of the full board. Uh, there are several of you I've seen at either county meetings or at workshops or, or other type of training uh, events. I'm in business now. I'm dangerous. Um, one of the things before we get rolling, I'm going to start a document on this end. All of you uh, on the board and uh, the business administrator and certain uh, folks that the business administrator has added to your census, your contact, all your information in, at New Jersey School Boards is, is on file. This is the your census, all of your information. So when I started, just work it around the room. Take a look at your information. If it's correct, just put an initial by your name. If you want to make changes or additions, make those changes and I'll see them and I'll get them corrected at headquarters tomorrow. All right. my, as, as, as I was introduced, my name is Jesse Adams. I'm a field representative from New Jersey School Boards Association. I have responsibility for the boards of education in Burlington County, Mercer County and half of Camden County. That's about 68 boards of education. I'm one of nine in the state. Um, my other eight peers have similar sized territories across all the 21 counties. We, we are called the pointy end of the spear. Um, we're out in the field. We're the consultants to the boards of education. We provide whatever needs they have. Um, this is just one of our services is, is training. The board by law pays dues every year to the New Jersey School Board Association. And within those dues, there is a whole slew of things that come with the dues. Training and professional development is one of those things. Um, this is, as I said, this is my first time meeting the board. So just a real quick Reader's Digest version of who I am and what my background is, because I know when I sat on a board, and the, when the field rep came in for the first time, my question was, Okay, what qualifies this person to talk to us about governance? Um, personally, uh, I, I'm a Burlington County guy. I'm a New Jersey guy. I grew up in Burlington County, right? Cocos Valley Regional High School graduate. Um, went from there to the Naval Academy. Uh, went into the Navy, 26 years, retired Navy captain, active in reserve. I also spent 22 years with Lockheed Martin, retired in 2013. Um, so I'm retired from two different areas, spent a year doing nothing and enjoying retirement, and then decided nothing wasn't going to work, and I, I looked for an opportunity to do something else. And this position presented itself. Um, board, <coughs> board experience, I was a board member for 22 years. Uh, and I actually was a board member who, 
As you know, board members can only serve on one elected position at a time. When the law changed, all those who were serving on multiple board elected positions were grandfathered until they either lost an election or they resigned. Um, I served 22 years on my K-8 district. Uh, and then in parallel, the latter 10, I also served on the Regional High School Board of Education. So Lumberton K-8, sending district to Rancocas Valley, I happen to be able to serve on my alma mater, on my high school board. Um, uh, K-8 district, uh, um, seven years as board president, four years as vice president, 17 years as negotiations chair. Um, during my seven years as board president, we had all of our referendums take place that year. Four, we built two major additions to the two schools and we built two new schools. Uh, we were one of the smallest of the five sending districts. We are, Lumberton now is the largest of the five sending districts. All that farmland got bought up. Um, so I went through four referendums and we passed every one of them with, with by large margin. But we had a great superintendent who had a good strategy and we employed that strategy as a team and we were successful for the kids of Lumberton. Uh, my time on the RV board, I spent, uh, as I said, 10 years. All of that time, I was the negotiations chair. Spent two years as the vice president. My last three years on the board, I was the board president. And so we had several uh, activities that went on there. But I had a great experience. But when I took the position with New Jersey School Boards, by law, within 60 days, I had to resign from both of my boards. So. So I've been in your shoes. I've been through a lot of pain. I've been through a lot of good times. So I know what it's like being a board of uh, education member. And I can tell you, sometimes it can feel like you're, you're hitting your head against the wall. But ultimately, if you're focused on the kids, it's, it's well worth it. Tonight, we're going to talk about ethics. It is a requirement um, by law Boards of Education annually are required to have ethics training. In the packet that I gave you, a little bit of reference material, on the right-hand side is a copy. Behind the agenda is a copy of the PowerPoint. I'm one of those note-takers, so I like to have the charts to make my notes on, so you do have a, a, a set of the charts there. Uh, behind that is, is, the code, is the 10 tenets, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, is the code of ethics itself. Those are the ten tenets. You may want to pull that out because we will be talking about that and referring to it. So it'd be nice to, that you have it in front of you. Um, behind that, we do we have a, a document called the do's and don'ts, based on the code of ethics. So some uh, recommendations, food for thought for board members. The document behind that is called the acknowledgement of receipt. The other piece in the law, in, in addition to your annual required training, you are annually required to acknowledge that training, that you've received training, and you have to sign a, some type of document acknowledging that. Um, some boards of education, the, the, the BA may have a form that they have internally that they use. Um, use that. We, we provide a, a document here in case you don't have one. Um, so that once we complete training, all of you can complete this form, fill it out, sign it, and give it to your BA so that if the executive county superintendent asks, hey, did Robbinsville do their annual ethics training? She's got the objective evidence on file that you did and everybody who took, who took the training. And then the last document on that side is a, an evaluation sheet. 
and I take my evaluation serious. So if, and I take uh, constructive criticism well. I don't take it personal. Look at everything, and I try to improve what I'm doing in support of boards of education. On the left-hand side, first document is the statute, the full statute as it relates to the School Ethics Act. Also, I'll point out the regulate on on the uh, ten tenants document I told you to pull out. <coughs> on the flip side is the New Jersey regulation, which has uh, just like policy, you have a policy. And then your superintendent creates regulations and operating procedures. Well, in the state of New Jersey, uh, the statute is the policy, so to speak. And then there are regulations that implement it. For the Ethics Act, there are regulations that require you to go through training, to acknowledge it in writing, et cetera. Those regulations are on the flip side of that document, if you're interested. The, like I said, we give you the full statute, so if you have trouble sleeping one night, and you want something to help you get to sleep, you can pull this out and read it. But that is the actual statute from, from, the, uh, from the legal side of the equation. Behind that is a document called Board Member Conflicts of Interest Clarified in, three, in, in a Trio of School Ethics Rulings. If you're all aware, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of advisory opinions that have uh, impacted board members and their ability to participate in certain activities. So if you're a conflicted board member, there are limitations on things you can do. Um, those advisory opinions have been going for, for almost uh, three years now, and different ones have given somewhat different interpretations. Last September, the SEC decided they needed they, they were getting so many questions they needed to clarify and they, in, the, in the advisory opinions they issued in September. It kind of laid out, and hopefully for the last time, what what a board member is conflicted of and how to interpret that. So uh, our legal department said, you know, in addition, I'll talk about it, I'll touch on it in the presentation, but our legal department felt you, it would good, be good to have a packet in that it fully explained some things so that uh, if you wanted to read that, you would have it. Behind that is, a, is an article called, When is Volunteering Too Much of a Good Thing? Mike Calber, he was recently retired, he was our director of legal, uh, he did an article on volunteering for the Le Legally Speaking magazine, uh, which is part of the uh, legal association in, in New Jersey. Um, the, the advisory opinions over the last couple of years impacted your ability to volunteer for things within your district as well. So, and this article is a very good article that talks about some of those restrictions. Then the uh, pink document that's in your packet, I believe it's pink, why do board members breach confidentiality? We put this document in there because it's important, because confidentiality is important. It's one of the tenets of the uh, uh, Code of Ethics. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why folks might breach, and we kind of give you food for thought on some of those things that we've seen over the years that may cause someone to inadvertently breach confidentiality. Um, and then the last document is about field services, our organization, and some of the other governance topics that we can we, we are able to provide professional development on if you so desire. So let's talk school ethics. The bottom line, the act itself was put in place in 1992. And it came as a result of a lot of things that were happening across the state of New Jersey. And if you were, you've been in the state and involved <coughs> in education long enough, um, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there were a lot of things going on in the state as it related to 
um, school districts, superintendents, boards of education. Uh, there's, there are a lot of districts that had high employment of relatives. Uh, you can go in a district and every board member had relatives employed somewhere in the district. Um, there were uh, superintendent contracts that had all kind of perks in them back in those days. You know, clothing allowances, cars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that, that the public was not happy with, that they felt that boards of education were not <coughs> handling taxpayer dollars in a proper fiduciary manner. Um, and all of that was going on, and at some point, you know, the straw broke the camel's back, and the legislature said, we can, we, we hear the public's outrage, we can fix this. They fixed it by implementing the School Ethics Act. The bottom line on the act, it's designed so that, and the intent is that as board members and school officials, the act covers school officials. School officials are board members, superintendents, and business administrators. Okay. The act says the conduct of those individuals should never break the public's trust. That's the bottom line of why the act was put in place. This is your training, so if you've got questions any time through, please speak up. You know, it's, it's not, I, hopefully not a one-way conversation. The act itself established several things. The School Ethics Commission, you'll hear me call it the SEC, it's not the Security Exchange. Um, School Ethics Commission was established. Code of Ethics itself, the 10 tenets that I asked you to pull out, those actually did not, were not in the law when it, when it was established. They, that, those 10 tenants came nine years later as a result of the Commissioner of Education uh, asking New Jersey school boards to take the lead to develop what the code of ethics should be for board members. New Jersey school boards worked with NJSA, the, uh, the Superintendent's Administration, and the Business Officials Association, brought them in, and through all of the discussions, the 10 tenants that you see today were the result, and they were adopted into the law in uh, 2001. The act itself focused on conflicts of interest. That's what it's all about. Disclosure statements. We all, and I do, even as a New Jersey School Board employee, I have to fill the same documents you do out by 30 April every year. The financial and personal disclosure forms. That, that came into being when the act came into play. And then, training requirements. You all have mandatory training requirements by the law. You all know governance one, new board member orientation. Governance two, finance. Governance three, um, I should know, uh, finance three, student achievement. And then governance four, and that, so in, in a normal term, three-year term, by law, your first year, you have to do Gov one, second year, Gov two, Gov three, and the third. It's required, it's mandatory. What actually happens, and then let me, let me talk about governance four. Governance four is the recurring. So you run, have a three-year term. At the end of your three-year term, you run again, get reelected. In every reelected term, the first year of that reelected term, you're required to take governance four, which is a legal update. All right. So those, that's the mandatory training. There, there are folks watching that. You have to have your mandatory training completed by December 31st each year. December 31st, come Jan first week in January, our legal department runs a report. And it identifies, because we're the keepers of the data, we're, the we're in the statute as the training organization, 
we keep the data of who's completed their training. They run a report and they identify all the board members in the state of New Jersey who have not completed their mandatory training for that year by 31 December. <coughs> We're supposed to turn that over to the SEC. What actually happens in that in January is we try to give every board member the benefit of the doubt and they get a lot of emails saying, hey, you haven't done it, you need to do it. Um, but by the end of January, you know, if you, if you haven't taken the time to go in and do it, your name shows up on the delinquency list. That goes to the SEC, and then they review those lists, and what will happen is you will get, if you're one of those board members, you'll get a letter, a show cause letter from the SEC. Basically, a show cause letter says, you have 365 days to do your training. You need to tell us why you couldn't get it done. And depending on your reason will determine whether you stay a board member. This year, and charter, I want to point out, the charter schools are, are public schools. They, this act is applicable to them. And because they have a different timing, they get appointed in the June time frame. The reports were just run, as it happened to be in a meeting today, and they gave the numbers. 59 board trustees in the state are on that list and are being reviewed by the SEC. And there will be members on that, on that list that will be removed from their boards. They can either be reprimanded, censored, or suspended, or removed. They've, so the SEC has done letters of reprimand and censor and removals. I haven't seen any suspensions. So it, it's a serious business. You know, take the time to get your training done. But you do have mandatory training. And one of the, by the, like I said, by the code, an annual, your annual board training of ethics is, is a requirement. You, as board members, are the most regulated, scrutinized elected officials in the state of New Jersey. And you get paid very well for that opportunity. <laughs> you have the mandatory training, you have regulation, you have a code of ethics, all these things that other elected officials don't really have to live up to or adhere to, you guys are, are under a microscope. So that's why sometimes you wonder, why am I doing this for free? The SEC itself, nine-member commission appointed by the governor. Each person is, has a three-year term. No more than five can be from any one political party. Okay? There's the, the standard composition by law, two school board members, two school administrators, and then five non-school officials. They meet every month. They review cases, either advisory opinions or complaints, uh, and then they, they give their rulings and guidance. Uh, yes? Two questions. Uh, do they also come from all over the state? Do they make sure they yeah. have a mix of people from all over the they basically, basically what happens is if there's a vacancy for school boards, they come to the association and ask for a list of names of potential candidates. And we, we provide names from all 21 counties, and then the governor's office reviews those names, and then the governor makes a decision. Same thing with school administrators. Uh, they'll, they'll go to ASA. I'll ask for a listing of recommended administrators. They'll go through that process. And then non-school officials, they'll, they'll take uh, recommendations and inputs from, from wherever, but it, it's, not set, it's not designed to be Central Jersey only or South Jersey. They do try to get a mix. I think if you looked at the current makeup of the folks on there, you see a, a spread across the state. Um, 
the SEC has two major jurisdictions that they're responsible for, in addition to monitoring training and all that good stuff, advisory opinions and ethics complaints. An advisory opinion, you can look at that as before the fact, before anybody violates the act. Jesse Adams, board member, I'm thinking about taking an action, but I'm not sure if that's going to violate the act. First, first person I should go to is my board attorney, get, get an opinion. I may not like the opinion I get, so I want further guidance. I can write an advisory opinion, state the facts, and send it to the SEC. They're on the DOE website under the uh, SEC section. There's, it tells you how to do that and what, what the advisory opinion should consist of. That advisory opinion will go to the SEC, and they will review it, and then they'll issue an advisory opinion of whether that's a problem or not. That's a confidential communication between the board member asking, the school official asking for the opinion, and the SEC. You'll get that back, and it'll say, "Nah, you don't want to do this." So that's your, that you've gotten it straight from the horse's mouth. You don't want to do that. If you decide you are going to do that and you get caught, that's not going to look very well when you're sitting in front of the SEC pleading your case because you were advised not to. Yes, sir. Uh, does the school board member, a school board member can ask for an advisory opinion? School board members, school official superintendent, the board attorney, yes. And we don't need previous permission no. from anybody to do that? You, you, you can do it for yourself. You can do it for yourself. Correct. Exactly. Thank you. Ethics complaints, that's after the fact. Somebody is perceived to have violated the Ethics Act. Right? Somebody has filed a complaint. Anybody in the state of New Jersey can file a complaint against a school official, board member, a superintendent, business official. A lot of board members mistakenly believe that the only people that could file a complaint against them are the people that voted them in, you know, their constituents. If I know the facts of a case in Bergen County that a board member has violated the act, I can go in, file a complaint with the facts, and, and it will be it will get reviewed and, and determine whether there's a basis to it. So, yeah, board members and school officials are open to that. I said extra security. You've got everybody in the state that can can file a complaint against you if they wanted to. Um, the complaint goes through a process. If you receive, if your your uh, complaint is filed against you, the SEC it gets sent to the SEC. The first thing the SEC will do is contact you and give you ten days to tell your side of the story. You can say this is a frivolous, you know, this person has in for me, and this is a frivolous complaint. That's a legitimate. SEC will take that and go back to the originator and ask them to validate that this is not a frivolous complaint. The SEC has the authority to fine individuals who file frivolous complaints, um, $500. Last year, three people got fined $500 for filing a frivolous complaint. And those people got Yes. And those people were not board members. It was just- They were, they were folks who filed a complaint. Whether it's a, anybody, board members can file complaints, you know, 
Citizens can file complaints. The SEC has the authority to find anyone who files a frivolous complaint. Someone, somebody, uh, one board member said, "Well, yeah, they find them. How they get? How are they going to get their money?" They're the state of New Jersey. Guarantee you, they'll send you those notices, and at some point, you know, they'll take it from you. So uh, they'll get their money. But there is there is a, a mechanism to hopefully avoid people filing frivolous complaints. Once the 10 days is passed, if you choose not to respond, the case doesn't stop. They just give you your opportunity. 10 days go by, SEC reviews the complaint, they determine whether there's merit to it. If they believe there's merit, merit meaning it's worthy of a hearing, then they will hold a hearing. Call witnesses, the whole nine yards. And you, you'll get you know, notice to report, and you'll sit there and you'll answer questions, your witnesses will answer questions. They will then deliberate and issue a ruling. They can issue, a, and their ruling is a recommendation to the um, Commissioner of Education. They can recommend a reprimand, a censor, a suspension, or termination from your board. Those are their options. They recommend them. The, the Commissioner has the op option to either accept that, reduce it, increase it, you know, whatever the commission feels. But, but they make the initial recommendation for what should happen when they determine that there is a violation. Yes, sir. I guess two questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like a mini trial. It, yeah, it, and it's part, it's, it's it really step one of the legal process because if you wanted to appeal, you're now taking it to the commissioner. And if you don't like his answer, now you take it to the appellate, you take it through the court system. Um, so this is the start of a legal process. Does the school board attorney defend the school board member if this goes to that point? That's determined by the board. It's determined by the board. Right. And, 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 and what basically what happens is if in the proper performance of your duties as a board member, someone files a complaint against you, your board can determine if your attorney will you know, um, support you in this case. If, if the board votes no, then you have to do it on your own and retain an attorney. That's your choice. You're not required to have one, but of course, but yeah. Um, and then the other piece of that question is, um, can the school, uh, the SEC, can they also determine that there's just because there's a trial, they don't have to make one of those recommendations. They right. determine that there's it's, no. Those are four, I'll call those, that's the punishment side. The non-punishment side says not found, not found, no violation found. And, and they'll issue a ruling saying no violation found. Thank you. You can ask a question. Not okay. Much <laughs> okay. Um, and and I, you just heard there is an appeal process that, that you can go through if, if you happen to fall into this sort of situation. The 10 tenants, let's quickly run through them. The first tenant, tenant A, bottom line here, upholding the laws and regulations of the state. Pretty simple, you're the elected officials, you are required to uphold all the statutes, the laws, the regulations of the state. Even if you don't like them, Good example that you know a lot of us use when we're talking to boards is park. <laughs> Several years ago, park came into being, and board said, "Oh, you know, our public doesn't like this. We're not going to do it. We're going to put a policy in place that allows people to opt out." Well, you can't 
Boards can't create policy that violates law. Park is law. The law says in the state of New Jersey, students will be assessed. And the Department of Education will determine the vehicle to be used for assessment. DOE chose park. That becomes law. It's mandatory. It's a mandatory requirement. You can't do a policy that is contrary to the law. Now, some people say, well, you know, we have people who refuse. Yep, you do. That's called a refusal. You have a code of conduct. You have a discipline process. And if child, a student's chewing gum in class and the teacher says, spit the gum out, and the student says no, that's a refusal to obey a, a, a lawful uh, order, so to speak. So we told, we told boards when this was rolling out, when Park was coming, you really need to take time to think about your discipline process, how you are going to have a game plan on how you're going to address refusals in your district. Because you can't authorize by policy that people can opt out. What they do is they refuse to take it, and then you have to deal with it based on whatever your policies are. So that's a, a good example of a lot of people hated the law, but you as a Board of Education, you have to enforce and implement and, and execute the law. Second one, pretty basic. You as a Board of Education, you are here. Your primary reason that you're here is the children. That's what that tenant says. You make all of your decisions based on what's best for the students in your district, regardless of all of those things, their ability, their race, creed, sex, social standing. Your decisions should be based on what's best for the students in your district. Not the taxpayers, not the adults. It's about what's best for the education of the students and the children in your district. The next tenant talks about confining board action to policymaking, planning, and appraisal, and help frame the policies only after you've had a chance to talk to those that are affected. Bottom line is, we do a training called Foundations, Fundamentals of Board Governance. And the first slide we throw up is the four responsibilities of a board, policy, planning, appraisal, and um, communication. Communication comes in one of the tenants. I've had people say, well, where do you get those four? There's three of them right there, right out of the law. The 10 tenants are law, okay? So you're responsible not for running the day-to-day. -day. You have oversight. You, provide, you tell the superintendent and her team what you want as a district, as a board. What do you want for your district? You do that through your policies. All of your policies are the what the board expects in this district. And the public can go to the policies to see what the board expects <coughs> under many areas within the district. The how things get accomplished is the superintendent's responsibility. That's the swim lane. The what and the how. The board's the what, superintendent and her team is the, are the how. Carry out my responsibility, and this goes hand in hand with the previous one, not to administer the schools, but together with my fellow board members, see that the schools are well run. You as a team have oversight to ensure that what your expectations are are being met for the children in your district. 
So a couple of items. A board member went directly to guidance, to the guidance secretary, and demanded copies of SAT reports. Would that be appropriate for a board member to do? No. And the SEC said in this case, they issued a censor to the board member that did that. Second, second scenario, board member sent a letter to the superintendent and the board complaining of the CSA, which is the superintendent, the chief school administrator, the superintendent's treatment of his wife, who was a district employee. Is that appropriate for a board member to do? SEC said no. Did, uh, I forgot to mention the D and the C and the I, those are the actual tenets that they found in violation. In this case, they issued a censor, uh, a suspension to this board member. <coughs> board member sends confidential memo to other members criticizing a principal's performance. Is that appropriate? No. This person also received a suspension. The performance of staff. One, one person is responsible and accountable for ensuring the evaluation and perform of the performance of staff. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Superintendent. Superintendent. You have responsibility to do an evaluation annually of one employee. Who is that? Superintendent. Superintendent. So you should not you should not be trying to evaluate staff. That's superintendent's role. That's why you hired her as your chief executive for education here. Board member homeschools his children and he bases every decision on reducing spending. Is that appropriate? You'll be surprised. They found, SEC did find, there was no violation. Why? The reason is that there was not enough evidence to show that every vote the person took could be, could be proven that he only took into account the financial aspects and wasn't concerned about children. Now, if this board member had been dumb enough to say in front of the SEC, yeah, that's how I make my decisions, then he would have got hammered. But because they didn't have enough evidence, even though they felt that that was what the person was doing, they couldn't prove it. So in this case, the SEC said not enough evidence to find a violation. Tenant E, recognize that authority rests with the Board of Education and will make no personal promises nor take any private action that may compromise the board. And that's important. It ties into another tenant, but this, what's important about this is that the board has authority. Let me ask you another question. When does the board have authority? I'm sorry. When you're, all, when you're at a legally advertised and open meeting, the board now has authority to act. Board members individually do not have any authority. When the board president adjourns the meeting, you are now all private citizens again, basically. Now, we all know that you walk around town with this big scarlet B <laughs> on your forehead. Everybody knows who you are. And they come to you because they know, they think, the public doesn't understand this, and they believe you can solve my problem. I bring my problem to you, and I'm looking for you to take charge of it and go fix it for me. Legally, you cannot do that. Yes, ma'am. Doesn't the board president have additional authority that us as individual board members don't have? The board president has, there's, I think, seven, five or seven, I'm one of those two, but there's, in code, 
fiduciary responsibilities by law. Signs the checks, does a bunch of other, but they're largely tied to financial. All other board president responsibilities are determined by the Board of Education in every district. Your bylaws, you have bylaws that tell yourself and the public how you operate. There is a bylaw, I would imagine, that you've got one. That's the role of the board president, and it outlines the board president's duties. So a board decides what authorities they want their board president to have. The board president typically is the spokesperson for the board. The district spokesperson is the superintendent, but the board president serves as the spokesperson on the board. That's nowhere in code or statute. That's an authority given to the board president by the board through their bylaws. So I tell, every time I talk to a board, I say, make sure you know what your bylaws say. Because I, get, I got a phone call one time and said the board president um, assigned me to a committee that I wasn't interested in. I think he, he was out of line. I said, well, what does your bylaws say? Oh, I don't know. So they pulled the bylaws up, read it to me that the board president is responsible for making committee assignments, period. Didn't say how or any restrictions. I said, so based on that, he felt you he wanted you on that committee. That's his call. And they said, well, that's not right. I said, well, then you need to have a conversation <laughs> with the board about that bylaw and that authority. That's so, so this board president has additional responsibilities, but they are limited to what the board will, gives them through the bylaws. Okay? Um, personal promises. It, you know, one of the things you have to remember is that you tell someone, okay, I understand your problem. I got it. I'll, I'll go fix that for you. You've just, you've just committed a violation because it's against code, against the law for you to take action. And it ties into the very last one. I'll talk more about it. But you have authority and you make your decisions as a board. And that's what you need to remember. Refuse to surrender my independent judgment to special interests or partial political groups to use the schools for personal gain or the gain of friends. That's pretty simple, pretty basic. School boards are apolitical. They're not affiliated with any party. They're, they, they, were put, they were made that way. They've been that way for eons. The idea is that you're not here for the Democrats or the Republicans or the independents. You're here for children. And there are no Democrats, Republicans, or independent children. They're just children who are looking for you to provide them with the best education to help them be productive uh, participants in, in society when they leave your, your, your confines. Right? So it's important that you, know, you might have gotten in based on an issue that your section of the town had, and they rallied, and they got you enough votes to get you in, and they say, all right, we've got our person in. That person's going to fix all of our issues. They're going to realize very quickly that when you join the board, you're, you will realize very quickly there's a lot more to this board, boardsmanship than meets the eye. And if you are going to make changes, if you're a nine-member board, you're going to need to find four more friends on the board who agree with you because everything's done by majority rule consensus. G, I will hold confidential all matters pertaining to schools which, if disclosed, would needlessly injure individuals or the schools. 
In all other matters, I will provide accurate information and in concert with my fellow board members, interpret to the staff the aspirations of the community. If you remember, I said four functions of a board, policy planning, uh, oversight, and communication. This is the communication tenant. The second half of that talks about your responsibility to communicate with your public. And it's a two-way communication. You are required to communicate outward to your community. And board members say, well, what does that mean? Do we have to create our own board, board of education newsletter or something? I said, no. You guys communicate every day with the public. You're the top of the food chain. The, the district is run by the over, has oversight and overarching, overarching, and it's run by the Board of Education. There's communication going on all the time. BA sending information to the township. Teachers sending information back home to parents. Superintendent writing a letter to the editor or writing something. That's all communication. Board sanctioned communication. So if you believe and feel good as a board that that the outflow of information is, is good and the people who need information are getting it, then you've got a good communications process. So your outbound communication you should feel good about. If you think you can improve it, who do you talk to? You collaborate with the superintendent to talk about ways to improve how you communicate with, with the community. Coming back in, the inbound communication. You are all elected, you're part of the community. You will hear things, people will bring information to you. Sometimes they'll even come to tell you how great a job things are, are happening. <laughs> That's information that you should be bringing back to the board and to your superintendent. So that superintendent's aware of what the thoughts are of the public. If there is, someone has an issue with a program, you should bring that back. That, hey, you know, some folks out in the community are talking about this program. They're not happy. You give it to the superintendent. You step back. She runs with it. Takes an investigate, does what she needs to do to see if there's any validity. But that's bringing the aspirations of the town back to the board and to the superintendent. So that's your two-way communication responsibility. Confidentiality, the first half. We gave you a little uh, sheet in there that talks about why board members um, might breach confidentiality. Why do we do that? Because a large percentage of the ethics violations that the SEC sees has some, has, has some element <coughs> of breaching of confidentiality. That's one of those areas that happens a lot. So we try to give you some food for thought on why potentially someone might do that. That is very important. Basically what's, what happens in the executive session stays in executive session until such time that that action or that item has now moved into the public arena. Otherwise, you should not be talking to anyone other than board members as it relates to confidential material and information, and uh, not even your significant other. Like I said, 22 years as a board member, my wife actually worked in the district, and, they, and she worked for uh, a good portion in the board office. So she knew what the agenda was, and, and of course they knew what hot topics were all going, the board was gonna be dealing with, and I'd come home after a wonderful night, nice executive session, and hey, what's going on with so-and-so? Good night, dear. <laughs> yeah, you, you just got, and, and, and the thing is, everybody knows that you know. You have a lot of information that's confidential because of your position. 
and folks will try to get you to divulge some of that. You need to be very careful. It's very appropriate to say, I'm sorry, that, that's information that I'm not, I'm not uh, able to talk to you about, um, sorry. And they may not like that answer, but if it's confidential, that's what you need to do, because you don't want to have someone drag you to the SEC and trick Any questions on that? Just, I usually get questions yeah, on confidentiality. So, um, appropriate to, because I'm sure we've all got questions, to just say, come to the board meeting or leave the Because that's really where you're sending people to the public portion. When you say, come to the board meeting, read the minutes, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Is it because they're asking a question yeah, about a something that question. is, that, yes. that the board has addressed? Or that the board will be addressing? Well, if, if it will be addressed, that's an accurate statement. It's gonna be on the agenda, come to the meeting, the yeah. board will deliberate and make a decision and you'll see, you'll see what we decide. Yeah. You should not be, Board members are required to make informed votes. Informed vote means you're doing your homework. You're, you're, doing, you're, you're making sure you understand the issue that you're voting on, and you take input. You listen. Motion, second, the board president is open for discussion. That's an opportunity to share, talk, and discuss. We encourage board members, active listening. Listen to what's being said. Public comment. Listen to what's being said because it may influence your final decision on how you're going to vote. So it's your responsibility to make an informed decision. And so you shouldn't come presupposed to, I already know I'm voting on this because the discussion could change your mind. Okay. Board member used her position to gain access to a forum for her son that was not afforded to other candidates who had to go through an application and vetting process. Appropriate? No. This person, this board member got a reprimand. A board member put a lawn sign up to vote no during a school board member election. It was actually a referendum and the person had a vote no sign on their front, a board member had a vote no sign on the front lawn. Was that appropriate? Not a, the SEC determined it was not a violation. It was a generic vote no sign, and had no no. It didn't say Jesse Adams, school board member, asks you to vote no. So you weren't trying to use your position, your name, your title to influence the vote. Generic sign. Some neighbor might say, "Hey, can I put the sign on your lawn?" Sure, go right ahead. Your spouse could be voting no, even though you're saying you need to vote yes. They may be voting no, and she puts the, he or she puts the sign up. Because it was a generic sign, there was no party or well, no affiliation to the school board member that could be determined. They determined it was not a violation. You don't lose your First Amendment rights, but as a board member, you have to be careful. Because like I said, if that person had put his or her name on it, is asking you to vote no, they'd have been in trouble with the SEC. Okay. Board President unilaterally issued a rights notice to the school business administrator. Is that appropriate? No. Nope. That person got a reprimand. You need a, uh, a rights notice issued to a staff member? Who, who issues that? Superintendent. You have one employee that you're able to issue a rights notice to. That's the superintendent. 
Board member recorded executive session discussion and disclosed it to her attorney. This person had, had a case she was building and used some of that information and gave it to her attorney. Not to the public, but to the attorney. Is that appropriate? No. The attorney had nothing to, had no business or nothing to do with the executive session, therefore it was a breach. H, I will vote to appoint the best qualified personnel available after consideration of the recommendation of the chief administrative officer, your superintendent. What that says is you cannot, as it relates to personnel, you can't fire, hire, fire, transfer, do anything in personnel without the recommendation of the superintendent. Now, superintendent makes a recommendation, are you required <coughs> to say yes? No. 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 You have to make your own informed decision on how you're going to vote. But if you decide, you know, I, there's, a, there's a staff member I want to remove, I'm going to make a motion and get a second, and then you vote, that's illegal. Because if the superintendent has a recommended it, you can't bring it up. All right? So that's, a, that's as it relates to personnel. I will support and protect school personnel in the proper performance of their duties. I'll use my soccer coach example. You have a child who's playing on the team. As a board member, you go out to watch the game. And there's a group of uh, folks sitting over there talking about how bad this coach is. And they see you, oh, oh, Jesse's, Jesse will agree with us. And they come down, they want you to get involved in that discussion about how bad this coach is. Your job is to always support the staff in the proper performance of their duty. So that coach is doing his or her job. You support that person and get away from those kind of conversations. Because if you say something negative about that staff member, that's a violation of the, uh, and board members have been brought to the SEC and punished for speaking badly about a staff member, a superintendent, a principal, et cetera, et cetera. Your job is to always support the staff. Now, if you have an individual issue, where, who do you bring your issue to? Superintendent. You tell them what your issue is, and then you're done. Superintendent is responsible for performance. So you have a concern, you express your concern, you walk away from it. You should not expect to get a report back. It's her responsibility, she'll look into it. It may show up in a performance evaluation if there's something legitimate. But that's part of her responsibilities as the personnel manager in the district. Right? And this last one. A couple of things here. The big thing is chain of command. I will refer all complaints to the chief administrative officer, the superintendent, and will act on the complaints at public meetings only after failure of an administrative action. What does that mean? It means, by law, ties in with that you can't make personal promises, you can't solve problems as a board or as an bo individual board member until and only until it's gone through the chain of command and the superintendent has made a decision and that person is not happy with that decision, then through your, uh, your policy should have a, this, a process, a complaint process that says if you're not happy with the superintendent's decision, 
you can request a hearing before the board. And until that problem has gone through that process and ultimately shows up at a board meeting, you can't try to solve that problem. This is, this is important as it relates to public comment. And a lot of boards across the state are having, are starting to experience problems when they try to solve a problem for someone who comes to the podium with an issue. They come up and say, I've got this complaint, that, 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 that. And now the board starts talking, the board, everybody starts trying to solve that problem. And the superintendent hasn't heard about it. We tell board presidents all the time, you get a complaint, thank them for the complaint, you let them know that you heard their complaint, could you please make an appointment with the superintendent tomorrow so that she can look further into it and, and potentially resolve your complaint. Somebody corners you in the supermarket in the frozen food section. <laughs> You're a board member. I got a problem with my teacher. And they proceed to start to give you uh, a bunch of dialogue. Your job is not to agree, not to promise, but to say, I understand your concern. Have you spoken to the teacher? When they tell you, no, I can't do that, teacher will take it out on my child. Okay, make an appointment with the principal. Your job is to help them understand the chain of command and how to use the chain of command. The policy for your complaint process, you should all know that by heart because you'll get that point where you're trying to explain somebody and, and then you could say, and if you go to policy one, two, three, all of the specifics of how you can get your complaint addressed are there. You should know that. Your job is to help them understand the chain of command. The chain of command for complaints works from the bottom up. 99% of the complaints will get resolved before they even get to her desk. Because okay? everybody wants to solve a problem at the lowest level. Chain of command the other way. Somebody brings a complaint to you, where do you go with it? Superintendent. Your chain of command starts and stops with the superintendent. So you bring something to the superintendent, turn it over to the superintendent, and get out of the way. That person in the supermarket, you've told them to go make an appointment with the principal, they say, okay, I, I, I'll do that. What should you do when you get home? Pick the phone up, call the superintendent, give the superintendent a heads up. Hey, I had a parent who had a complaint. I referred them to Principal X. I um, just want to give you a heads up in case it, it makes its way to you. And then you're done. You've communicated so that there's no surprises. The idea is no surprises. And so it's important that you understand you can't solve problems as much as you'd like to individually or as a board until the superintendent has had that chance. So you need, and there, like I said, several boards have gotten in trouble. Trouble being they've lost control of their meeting because the public, they get into a dialogue with them about trying to solve problems and it turns ugly. In, in several, of di several districts they've had to actually resort to bringing you know, a police in to, get, to, to maintain order because they could not have their meeting because uh, they were trying to um, solve the problem and they, and they weren't solving it to the satisfaction of the public and the superintendent was basically caught in the middle and they had not had a chance to even address it. So, so those are the 10 tenants. Any questions on those 10 tenants? This is one, like I said, this one as it relates to public comment is sometimes an eye opener. I have boards that ask, well, the public doesn't know that 
public comment is just that it's a comment period it's the board meeting is a board meeting held in public it's not a public meeting you while the open public meeting act requires you to do your meetings in public and to be transparent so that the public can see you make the sausage okay but it's not their meeting to participate in other than the opportunity to comment typically boards will have a comment period for agenda items and then at, after they get through the agenda they'll open it up for comments comment period on anything any any other district business okay so it's important to understand you know the law says you can't do this you know right? and, and as, as a board you know it's important that you understand it there are more considers I'm going to skip those I will be don't let me leave without I have the answers on a separate sheet because you have you have blank pay you know you have just the charts I have the charts that have the answers I'll give those to you so you can see what what how these scenarios worked out a couple of things I want to talk about real quick conflicts of interest if you have a potential conflict of interest you are required to recuse yourself from that action that vote these are some of the kind of things that might cause you a conflict if you have a business interest financial involvement you know gifts favors things like that if you believe you or you think you might have a conflict I always say talk to your board attorney he, your board attorney will advise you on how you should act on that on that item that on whether you should vote or not skip these immediate family definition in the act is spouse civil union domestic partner dependent child residing in the same household so that definition ties to your conflict but the SEC since 2015 when all these advisory opinions start coming out they've expanded the definition of immediate fa of family immediate family member they've taken on the nepotism law you have a nepotism policy that de that definition of family is very wide open and in fact this is this is out of the nepotism law you can see a lot more wow. potential relatives can cause you a conflict in your duties as a board member okay. and the big thing is that term that's in there called other in the statute it has all this other stuff and other now what does it what has happened with the use of other other the SEC has in a couple of cases for example they've said that a cohabitant causes you a conflict board member is dating a staff member they move in together they're cohabitants so now you have created for yourself a conflict and there are certain things you can no longer participate in as a board member and you have to recuse yourself that's an example of one of the others that they ruled on um, so that so we, we tell boards is every year we usually tell them reorganization is a good time the new board is seated every board member take an inventory personal inventory of your relatives who are in education in the state of New Jersey that will tell you where your potential conflicts might lie turn that over to your board attorney and ask for opinion and the board attorney will tell you what you might be conflicted on yes sir it, it, under this section is it still about whether you live with this person so if you have a uh, a girlfriend uh, but you don't live with them that's okay that 
that are that works in the district. They work in the district, and, and that's you, a personal one. Yeah. yeah. If you have a girlfriend that works in the district, but doesn't live in the district, we would tell you, talk to your board attorney. Um, there's a high probability the board attorney said you probably should recuse yourself from certain um, Hiring responsibility, bottom, bottom line for the nepotism law, superintendent may not hire a relative of the superintendent or of a board member and may not recommend the hire. Of a, of a relative of the superintendent or a board member. There are exceptions. It would be, the example I'll, I'll use is, you wanted to introduce Mandarin Chinese as a language in, in the district. And you, you went out, you did headhunters, you, you could not find a qualified, available Mandarin Chinese teacher. But a board member happened to have a relative who was a qualified, teacher of Mandarin Chinese. The, the superintendent could take that to the executive county superintendent and prove <coughs> to the superintendent that she's done everything she could to find a, a qualified available. And if the ECS agrees, the ECS can authorize the district to hire that relative. Then it can be put on the agenda and you can vote on it. So that, that's, uh, that's one of those, you know, it has to be something very rare you to be able to hire a relative, right? Um, this, this chart here talks about personnel as it relates to if you have a conflict. Bottom line, if you have a relative or an other in the district, you're out of all personnel matters as it relates to the superintendent and anybody in the chain of command of the relative. So if the relative is a teacher, then the supervisor, principal, the assistant superintendent, the superintendent, that chain of command, you are out of any discussions as it relates to personnel for those folks. Okay? Any questions on that? It's very expensive. Yeah. 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 That whole, that, that, that list, you really have to take a good look at it. And if you think you got anybody that might fall into that, talk to your attorney to make sure you know what your rules are. This. This chart is out of that I talked about in September that tried to clarify where the conflicts are. This is an excerpt of that chart that's in that. Basically, hopefully it gives you guidance that, you know, depending on what your situation is, it tells you whether you can or cannot participate in the bargaining process. So if you have a relative in the district, odds are you, in addition to not being able to participate in superintendent, personnel stuff, you are also restricted from being a participant in the collective bargaining process. Not just being a part of the bargaining team, you can't hear anything about what's going on until the contract is, 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 is ratified. So, so if you have someone in the district, basically they work in the district, you can't participate in negotiations, and you can't vote on the contract. You're out. So. If you have that kind of a conflict and you go into and the board's going to go into executive session to give a negotiations update, and if that's the only business that's going to be done in the executive session, you can pick your stuff up to have a guy nice night, guys. I'm going home. But you have to. But if there's other business and you got to stay, you got to leave the room until they're done and they come and get you. All right? If you if you have a relative that works out of the district, right? There. You have a relationship, but they work out of the district. 
not in your district, they're a teacher or something in another district, you can't participate in negotiations. But once the um, memorandum of agreement and the financials, the, the, uh, the guide and everything have been set, agreed to, then you are now allowed to see it and vote on it. But until that time, you're out of the process. If you have a child or a relative that works out of the district, and they're not, and the child is not a dependent, i.e., my son works in, a, in another district, has his own apartment, not dependent upon me in any way, shape, or form, then SEC says you don't have any conflicts. They're not in your district. They're not dependent upon you. Therefore, you have no conflict. You can participate in all of the bargaining activity. Um, some other things, if you have a conflict, you got to be aware of board members. If you're running for election or a re-election, and you receive the endorsement of the association, the teacher association, that could cause you a problem in negotiation. Right? So that's something that if you you receive, they put signs out supporting you. You know, uh, the teacher association does that. You need to have a conversation with your board attorney because, um, and the board attorney may, 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 and it's regardless of whether you accept it or not, uh, their, their endorsement or not, you may have a problem. And what you have to do is talk to your attorney um, because it could exclude you from participating in the negotiation process for at least the year that you're going into and possibly your entire term. So that's why you have to talk to your attorney. And so that's an important one. Um, Doctor and necessity, how many conflicted members do you have on your board? Any? Three. Three. So you don't you still have a majority to be able to a majority of the full membership to, to execute. If for whatever reason you had more conflicts than you could legally have a, a, a majority, a legal majority personnel, you need full membership nine, you need five votes. For something to pass. If you had six conflicted members, you'd have four members. So you could interview, you could negotiate, but you couldn't vote to approve because you don't have enough people to vote. That's when you would, you would have to invoke the doctrine of necessity. Your board attorney would do that, and then all of you could vote because he would identify your conflict. Volunteerism, real quick, the bottom line on volunteerism. As a board member, there are certain activities that you cannot participate in and volunteer in, in the district. If there are one-time activities, for example, I have, I have a fourth grader and I want to be a chaperone on the school, the, the fourth grade trip. That's a one-time event. You come, do it, and leave. That, the SEC deems those kind of activities okay. Read Across America. Come in to read, board members invited to come read to the kindergartners. That's okay. It's when you're in a volunteer organization or activity that basically embeds you in the school, that you're involved in finances, you're giving direction to students and staff, or you're taking direction from staff. That's inappropriate. You are the chief executives. Taking direction from staff members is not in line with your role as the senior leaders of the district. Um, an example would be a volunteer coach. Board member who is a volunteer football coach 
can't be a volunteer football coach because he's taking direction from the head football coach, which is approved and paid for by, by the, uh, the board. Um, and I had a board member resign when that advisory opinion came out when I explained it to him. And he said, well, okay, I've been volunteer coach for 15 years, and now because of this, I can't do this. I said, yeah, you either give up being a board member or you give up. He resigned the next day, and he wasn't giving up his coaching. But those are the kind of things you have to be aware of. We tell boards, I, I, just like I said, at Reorg, do your inventory of your relatives. We also say do an inventory of your volunteer activities in the district and identify what your role is in that and have your attorney review that and the attorney will tell you if you are able to continue in those activities. So that's important to understand. Yes? Excuse me, based upon what you just said about volunteer activities and outside organizations that are self-governed, governing fully independent board members' role and board of education oversight, and in this packet that you gave us when you volunteering too much of a good thing, the example that is listed in here for an education association, what is your thoughts on that? For, for an, an ed foundation? Mm -hmm. You, you can participate in that. Really, but, as but, a trustee? Well, as, as a member, of, or as a trustee. But you have to be able to separate your duties. Because the, the goal and objective of an education foundation is to benefit. Right. So if, if the foundation decides they want to donate, they want to provide money for, pick a program, the board has to approve you it. You do the courtyard at Sharon's School. Right. So the board has to approve accepting those funds to do that. Mm -hmm. You, if you're on that, if you're a part of that, you have to recuse yourself from that. Oh, great, good to know. All right. And same thing with the PTA. If you're a member of the PTA PTO, you can you can be a member or an officer, as long as you separate church and state. You great. can't use your position as a board member to the advantage of the PTA PTO and anything that. Is required. This isn't just your opinion. This is. This is. A, there's an advisory opinion on that. It's an old one that okay. talks about that separation of church and state. Right. So, and so you you skipped a page that said that exactly that you could be the president of the PTA. Yeah. But then underneath you have a little quote that says just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Yeah. But, it, but, that, that, but that means it's not a ethical violation. Right. But that. some. But. It may be a practical if, if, if issue. you have a community that is in an up uproar that you're a board member and a PTA member or a president, that's something that's what you you're meant. allowed to do it, but you may be getting so much backlash from it that it may not be something you want. The that, appearance, yeah. the appearance et cetera, right. But gotcha. legally, you could do it. Very good. Yep. Yes, sir. What if there's legal fees associated with You mean legal fees? Well, if there are challenges about in, the, in the community regarding those things, with the, and it's causing legal fees that the school board has to pay for to defend those types of actions, would that be something that would change um, that? Something that's going to cause you legal fees is going to be somebody actually filing a, a, a legal case against you. And if, if there's something that you guys are doing or our members doing that is involved in that, you and your attorney are going to have to have a good conversation on whether you need to pull yourself out of that. Uh, it's, it's a matter of what is the complaint and what what, what are they taking you to court for. And I think uh, that's pretty much it. The only other thing I'll mention is that interviews. Um, there was an advisory opinion that talked about interviews. Boards 
tend to want to be a far, part of all the interview process. Now, the advisory committee says, no, you can't. It says that you can be a part of an interview if it's for what, what's called senior type positions. This is administrator, assistant superintendent, et cetera. So you could participate. The advisory says no more than two board members and only if the superintendent invites you. The hiring process belongs to the superintendent. So the superintendent sets the process up. If they're gonna do a panel, she establishes the panel. Um, if she decides I want a board member on that panel, that's her choice. The board can't say we want someone on that panel. The hiring process belongs to, when that ruling came out, I had a board president call me upset. They were hiring a business administrator and they told the superintendent, we want board members on that, on that panel. And the superintendent said no. And he called me and said, that, that can't be right. And I said, it is right. It's superintendent's call. I said, what can I do about it? Negotiate with the superintendent. But the bottom line is, the superintendent doesn't want you on there. He's, he or she is not required. It's their process. Their response, superintendents are responsible to bring you a recommendation. And they have a process that they go through that should match your expectations in your hiring policy. And as long as you have a process that you're comfortable with, that meets your policy, then you should feel confident on the recommendations that are being made. That's new. That's a new one. That, that advisory is, let me see, it's A2015. Yeah, it, it was like the latter part of 2015 when that one came. And exit interviews, that, that's been long-standing. Board members are never involved in exit interviews. That's totally the superintendent. A lot of information. Um, hopefully it was helpful. Um, questions, comments? Um, I will leave my business card. I, I forgot to mention in the beginning that New Jersey School Boards is here for you. This is your professional association. Conversations that you have with myself or other members of New Jersey School Boards is just like talking to your attorney. It's confidential. We do not tell anyone who we speak to, you're free to say, I called Jesse and here's the information he That's up to you. But we do not divulge who <coughs> contacts us. We get phone calls from board members, superintendents, and BAs all day. And we get all kinds of questions. But, but it is a confidential conversation. We're here to support you. We're your consultants. Uh, so feel free to give me a call if you, if you need something, you have a question. But thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate thank you it. so thank much. You. That was If you, if you want to fill out the evaluations, I'll take them. Just pass them down to the center and I'll, and I'll collect them. I know that was good. That's good actually because that was something we thought of. Yeah. Um, oh, the car. Sorry. That's all right. We did fight over. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Jeff. Is there that was excellent. I don't know. Let's ask him for a couple more. Is this a jump? Yes. Because I don't want to. Um, have a couple more. Um, if you don't, you can get on.
but I can Well, there's one that looks like you had your name on it. All right, well, I, we'll take this and this, this is good. We'll share. But thank you very much. All right, thank you. everyone um, and I just want to highlight uh, a few things in my report uh, tonight um, first of all um, we are in the full throttles of a new school year um, and as you can tell um, you know we have now um, the largest enrollment um, is uh, currently you know between Sharon school and the high school if you look at that for the month of September 
Um, so it's pretty much even across the board, over a thousand in each school. Um, and I think um, the school year got off to a great start. Uh, kids uh, and, and staff um, are happy and uh, engaged in learning. So um, we're happy about that. Um, each September, we talk about um, the harassment, intimidation, and bullying self-assessment report that we have to do and submit to the state. And then they score us, so each school um, fills out um, a, an evaluation of how they're doing in different areas. Um, some of the areas include um, just the reporting structure of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. It's training as well, so it would be training of staff, um, uh, outsourced uh, staff and students, and certainly um, how we're creating um, a culture of acceptance and um, community in each school. Um, each school has an anti-HIBS specialist, and each school also has a school safety um, team that meet um, to try to develop culture. So if you look at the scores, um, I think um, some of the indicators, uh, really the areas that we feel we need to work, we think we're really um, doing well in building our uh, school culture and community of uh, inclusivity and acceptance. We think um, there's a stronger understanding of what HIV means, although I think we can never uh, reiterate that enough. Uh, the reporting seems, uh, I think, is going very smoothly. Um, one of the things I think that uh, we noticed as we were reviewing our scores is we really need to focus on training um, our external uh, contracted services people. So we do very well uh, training our internal people, but. Um, contracted services would include, you know, fruit, food services, um, bus drivers, uh, all those people that maybe um, interact on a daily basis with our students but don't always get the same amount of training. Substitutes as well. So that's our focus this year. So that's what we're going to do this year. Um, and I just want to highlight, um, if you recall, we had some wonderful news um, in uh, July when we received that additional um, state aid money. And um, you also remember the pie chart. I'm going to put this up after uh, tonight um, just to remind you of where we wanted to um, allocate some of our money. But uh, we're getting to um, allocate it, I would say spend it, but um, allocate it in really good places um, for the school year. So 19% um, uh, of it is, is going to personnel. So if you s have seen in the last couple agendas, we've hired additional guidance counselors, uh, supervisor of curriculum, assistant principal, um, uh, an additional Spanish teacher, and that's to reduce the course <coughs> load at the high school so that some of our teachers don't have to teach seven classes. Uh, which is really um, uh, taxing on them, um, and um, some additional uh, full-time instructional aids as well. Um, so we're uh, moving in the right um, direction. We um, still are searching for a few teachers. We'd love to find a teacher of technology. We, we are hiring one to replace. We're still working on finding the right match for us, but that would also allow us to expand some of our elective classes. And then you'll hear um, just a brief description of our, a little bit of our st strategy um, for next year's um, personnel. We're already kind of building personnel for the following year based on our enrollments and our needs of our students. So that's, that's exciting. Um, curriculum, which is about 14% of, of what we budgeted for, um, we have already, um, uh, spent some money on English language support in the area of grammar 
uh, and vocabulary because we know that we needed to strengthen the way in which that the instruction piece of that. Uh, we are funding some underfunded on the underfunded clubs at the high school, and we are um, uh, the both Pond and Sharon are submitting proposals to Dr. Tu and I um, to look at uh, for new clubs um, so that we can really keep our students engaged. So we're excited about that, as well as some professional development um, and some replacement Chromebooks. So it's not expansion, it's just much needed replacement. Uh, and then in security, we talked about that. We're already putting some after school security um, pieces in place where we have personnel who will be visible uh, uh, to support our students um, during after school activities. Uh, walkie talkies uh, we've purchased um, and uh, we are researching camera upgrades uh, because it has to align with our current technology and technology changes so quickly that we want to make sure we, we invest wisely in that. We're also um, continuing with our security audit. And then some other maintenance issues that we're using, uh, again, some of the additional funds for. Um, we, uh, you know, you'll see on the agenda tonight, clocks. We're not spending 25000 for <laughs> clocks. It is the entire system that work the clocks, um, synchronize, I guess, uh, the, uh, the clocks, the technology behind it. So don't, don't worry um, about that. <laughs> the clocks are from Home Depot, so just <laughs> let um, do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then uh, we've done some uh, repairs, concrete repairs, roof repairs uh, with some of the money. And again, you'll hear a little bit of a conversation uh, with um, cleaning services contract and money invested uh, towards that. So we're on the trajectory. I'll continue to communicate. I will communicate this specifically tonight, but I just wanted to share and highlight um, you know some of the things and if certainly capital reserve you know that's that staying and that's uh, for future projects so that's my report thank you mm -hmm. school business administrator report Ms. Brooks. Uh, good evening um, just wanted to go over a couple items I just wanted to remind the board that the um, school board uh, conference begins on October 22nd Monday and runs through October 25th the Thursday all board members are registered. Um, we did a group registration due to the amount of uh, members that would attend. Um, you can always stay overnight, but the timeline to be reimbursed is closed. That's no longer available. Um, and I just wanted to, if you can email me and get an idea of who will be attending so that I can give you updates you know, as I get them. If you could just let me know, um, that would be helpful. There's a couple items on the agenda that um, I just um, one is I just noticed tonight the P for one of the PD items we're going to have to do a revision. Um, it was just the wrong amount put on there. So um, when we get to that action item, I'm going to ask for an uh, amendment to that. Um, the bill list from Friday was updated. We had a, a payment that had to go out for um, a lease to the bank. Um, the payments due the end of October, but we have to had to get it on. So that's been updated as well. And I also have an additional action item that I will pass out that I'm that the superintendent's going to recommend under finance. Um, and so when we get to the finance section, there'll be two two action items, one for a change in the PD and one for an additional action item. Um, I wanted the board to know we just got notified this morning of a safety grant. We get um, two. We have two different insurance companies, one for workers' comp and one for comprehensive and um, 
liability and everything else. So this one is from SAFE. It is our School Alliance Insurance Fund, and we were awarded a grant of $5,500. And what happens with this grant, it's actually applied to our premium. So it's just a reduction in our premium. We don't actually spend it for a certain um, a safety, pro safety um, product. Um, so it includes um, attaining tier one status of 4,500, and then we, we earned an extra $1,000 for getting points. So we got 100 points. There's a number of ways the district can earn points, such as holding senior safety awareness programs, holding district safety meetings, attending external safety meetings. So we were able to reach um, those points and got the extra $1,000. So that's all good news. I just wanted to update you on the media center um, at RHS, the renovation project. Um, it's substantially complete. It opened on schedule. We are extremely happy with the outcome of the project and the services of the architect and the vendor. Um, there's a few, few minor items that are still open due to the order of supplies and a little uh, back order on um, an exit door to um, the outside of the technology lab and a retractable wall on the second floor in the mezzanine. We did put a temporary wall up in the interim. So
and we need to better meet the needs of different subgroups, student populations, especially those who are African American, economically disadvantaged, and or have an IEP. These groups are not hitting our growth targets or on the same average as our other students. And we'll be going for some out-of-district um, training to work on that. Um, and, and just so you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Chu will be doing a full report next month on ARC at our next meeting. And our next meeting for Ed and Policy is on Tuesday, October 9th at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Questions from the board? I have a quick question. Dr. Tu, where does PARC stand? We've heard. Good <laughs> question. So it went up to the, the powers that be the last month to say if, if they were going to get rid of the graduation requirements or, or revise the graduation requirements or reduce testing at the high school level and length of testing in grades three through eight. The, the board decided not to vote at that time and delayed it until mm -hmm. next month or at the end mm -hmm. of this month. I can't remember the timeline. Um, what we're hearing from like back channels is, is there's still a lot of uh, lingering board members from the last uh, governorship, and so they want that legacy to remain. But there's a lot of pressure from the public saying they don't want Park to remain. So there's this, you know, tension. Um, so we'll see how they vote, basically. Um, but the new governor is recommending that we reduce the testing time and only test one year at the high school. So we'll see. Do we continue? Any idea how many students opt out and what happens if they do opt out? Um, so it's dwindling each year because of the new graduation mm -hmm. requirements. So when New Jersey really ramped up graduation requirements in the past year, it dropped. I mean, we were up to what, like the first year, like 30% of some yeah. of the grades mm -hmm. at the high school level who were refusing. Um, you know, how does that penalize us? We are on an action plan from the state because if more than 5% refuse, we have to have a 95% participation rate. We have to say how we're, what we're doing to change it. Um, so that's communication with parents. That's the, you know, but because they changed the graduation requirements, we're, we're upping our, our numbers. Um, but we really, um, in the past as a board, we have decided not to impose disciplinary actions because of, of the testing and what it's good for. So basically, we get punished in our state report cards. That's, right. that's kind of how it And it's out. not opt out, it's refusal. It's refusal. <laughs> yeah, it's refusal. Because it's, yeah, it's not an option. Refusal's, <laughs> right. refusal is covered by the 14th Amendment. That's their parents' right under the 14th Amendment to refuse. But then the state got wise and changed the graduation requirement. Mm -hmm. But I, I will defend the state in the sense that it, it's tied to the federal government, and the federal government says that we have to test in grades three through eight and in grade 11. So what they're, so that they said is, is that, well, if we, get, we want federal money, which we do, we have to follow these rules. Now, what I just said was we only have to test in grade 11 at the high school. We're going above and beyond yes. that in New Jersey. That's why the suggestion is to get rid of testing in ninth and tenth grade. Mm -hmm. um, and remember, we also have to test in science three times: once in elementary, once in middle, and once in high. Mm -hmm. So, other than a ding on the state report card, what are the penalties? We get the action plan, so it's more paperwork. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, paperwork. With you. But, but there's no. At this point, this board um, has never um, decided to hold any child, no. parent accountable for refusal. No, that, I mean, and what happens is, and I, it's a testament to like Molly and the guidance team here, when we find out if the child is refusing and we realize that they need to take it because of a graduation requirement, like they go above and beyond to inform the parents to say, listen, you haven't taken these other assessments, you really need to take part to graduate, you know, or now it's, you just have to sit for it. Um, that also penalizes us, so when kids have already passed the SAT, or in a sense they've gotten a score that they wanted on the SAT that's viable, um, they'll sit for part because they have to, but 
see some of them not try. Yes, and, um, and when I do my impact. testing presentation next month, 451 kids took Algebra 2 last year because of our course sequence change, so only one kid took Geometry last year and 451 took Algebra 2. A lot of those kids who took Algebra 2 last year did not need it to graduate, but they had to sit for it to graduate. So they didn't need a score, but they needed to actually take the test. I don't know how clean that data is right. when they're just forced to sit for it, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. And so our numbers went down in Algebra 2. But I didn't put that in my preliminary report because I honestly, I don't know, is it, because uh, we went up 12% in Algebra 1, why would we go down in Algebra 2? So that's something that we have to look at as we go forward. Yeah. So it, it's hard that, that after we get past Algebra 1, it's really hard for us to determine what's us and what's kids not participating or, or not taking it as seriously, I should say, because they've already taken all their assessments. Thank you. Are there questions? Uh, personnel committee. Sure. Uh, the personnel committee met on September 17th. Uh, in attendance was Leslie Jay, Sharon DeVito, Scott Weiss, and Dr. Foster, and myself. Um, we reviewed the normal personnel agenda. Um, there are some exciting things from the personnel agenda. We have um, selected our new athletic director, mm -hmm. and that will be Tom Bertel. Um, and in addition to that, the team has very swiftly found us a new fitness teacher, which is phenomenal. It, like since the meeting, so <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> team. Um, we are also hiring this month a new, we, or we hired this month a new technology teacher, a new biology teacher, and a new business teacher. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that. Um, we began to discuss, uh, really, um, a hiring plan for mm -hmm. the future. And we did that looking at class sizes. We did that looking at how many teachers are teaching seventh periods. And we did that looking at enrollment numbers for this year and where the enrollment will roll for next year. And based on that, we were able to create at least a preliminary hiring plan mm -hmm. for next year, which includes uh, a number of teachers, uh, a, a third grade teacher, fourth grade teacher, uh, just to name a few, a uh, six through eight science teacher, a uh, six through eight social studies teacher. Um, I left this meeting on like cloud nine. First of all, we <laughs> did it in one hour. Yeah. And Good secondly, point. we are thinking about the future of the school and we are spending our dollars on in the classroom on teachers. So yeah. I was really proud mm -hmm. of the meeting mm -hmm. and uh, and really excited. Yeah. Including uh, potentially uh, a, a, a new elective mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. And that was our meeting. Our next one is October 16th, and we'll do more soon. Questions? It was very exciting to mm -hmm. have a personal committee meeting where we could actually do long-range mm -hmm. planning, planning. Yeah. for <laughs> our kids <laughs> right. and what they need. Can we have a glimpse of the electives? That's going to be yeah, surveying and, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, yeah. We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to look at the needs and what's missing. Right. Yeah. You know. mm -hmm. And we also talked about looking at some of the schools that, make it, uh, mm -hmm. or school districts in New Jersey that really have robust elective programs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? Next up, finance, facilities, and transportation, Mr. Hong. Uh, 
thanks. Uh, the meeting was yesterday um, from 5 to 7.30. Um, in attendance was uh, board members Vito Galluccio, Jane Luciano, Rich Young, and myself, as well as Dr. Foster, Ms. Brooks, and Ms. Keener. Um, we started by discussing our September transportation report, um, which was provided to us by our transportation coordinator, Director Jen Freeman. It was noted that there were far fewer issues than in prior starts to the year. Actually, there was only four or five issues this time as compared to pages which we've previously had. Um, we discussed facilities, the RHS Media Center project, which Ms. Brooks has already talked about in doing the punch list update. Uh, the RHS retention vestibule timeline update, which Ms. Brooks also already dealt with. Um, it's okay. Uh, we talked about the RHS rear entry concrete and parking lot repair quotes. We have three quotes uh, to remediate the uh, rear entry patio area. Um, the area has been uh, flash patched for safety um, at this point, um, so it's in a much better condition than it's been over the last couple of years. Um, FFT liked the idea of reducing the amount of concrete and incorporating grass, benches, tables, bollards in that area. Um, there needs to be some discussion as to what the look of that will be and how to best uh, coordinate entrance and exit uh, depending on a reduced concrete footprint. Um, that reduction in concrete surface will help in drainage, maintenance costs, maintenance costs in ice and snow, and reduce the safety concerns. We also talked about additional exit lighting and bollards, uh, as well as bollards in the front entry area, not just the rear entry mm -hmm. area. Um, we talked about the RHS voter location change. We did receive approval from the Mercer County Board of Elections uh, to, um, to move the voting from the front of our school to the auxiliary gym so that students' uh, safety is not taken into any sort of uh, uh, situation based on location. Um, the board approved this request, and the November 6th elections will be held in a new location for safety and security. Uh, we talked about the building <coughs> walkthrough update. Um, uh, several board members attended the September 7th building walkthroughs at Sharon Pond and uh, Robbinsville High School. FFT liked having the walkthroughs done during operational times of day to fully understand and see the buildings during occupancy as opposed to our previous plans uh, where we conducted those walkthroughs before school had actually started. Uh, a list of needs was created for each school, discussions were held with each building principal, and a highlight of new spaces and utilizations were in each of the building's reports. Um, we had a discussion with uh, Mr. Gizzo, the Palm Road Middle School principal, regarding the, regarding the possibility of an outdoor uh, basketball shared services uh, agreement with the municipality. Uh, Mr. Gizzo discussed some concerns he had with the current language of the proposed agreement, as well as uh, talked about the concept, which he was generally in favor of. Uh, of course, he did have concerns, including things such as hours of use, parking, confidentiality of students. Um, he did note that additional gym space is needed, and this project would help facilitate new gym space as well as potential moving voting locations out of the middle school and into this secure area, uh, which would also help with student safety. Um, we did have also a conference call with the board attorney regarding this uh, particular project and discussions with respect to that, which are really attorney-client privilege um, at this point. Um, we did then had a presenter attend, which is Bill Gerichter. 
He is an RFP consultant for food services and custodial services. Uh, Mr. Gerichter is the president of Advocate, um, and he attended the meeting to discuss services performed by his company. Uh, his company had come recommended to us by the board attorney, and the district has used his services in the past. He discussed the details of his services provided for both the food services RFP process and the competitive contracting process for outsourced custodial services. It uh, begins with preparing the RFP to the evaluation and final award process. There's also an additional service that he provides for oversight of the awarded contract. The proposed cost for custodial RFP services is $10,095, and the cost for monitoring the contract and the awarded contract annually is $12,000. FFT had discussed his proposal at prior meetings. The process from RFP to award is approximately 10 weeks, with at least a month for the transition between the current and the awarded company. Therefore, in order for an award and start date of January 1st, 2019, the service agreement with Advocate will need to be approved at tonight's meeting. FFT did recommend that we proceed with Advocate um, with respect to this. Although we did not deal with the question of the annual contract for um, monitoring, and that's something that FFT will take up at the next meeting and come back to the board with the recommendation on. Um, finance, we had an update on the uh, pending, uh, the current custodial contract, excuse me. Um, we did receive a final proposal from Access New Jersey, which was for a 20 month agreement due to the required investment of personnel, equipment versus a contract for the remainder of the school year with an option to renew. Uh, we talked about whether or not this was something that the board wanted to go forward with and instead decided to go with the advocate option with an understanding that we would communicate with Access and let them know that we would like them to potentially bid on the process uh, like all the other potential uh, candidates that come in. Um, all clean will continue at this point, assuming the board was to approve the advocate up until the transition period is over on a month-to-month -month basis. Um, we talked about uh, hardship applications to the RED program, um, and uh, FFT recommended to keep the same process as last year for the current year and to bring any proposed changes for hardship applications through the policy committee uh, for policy discussions first before talking about finance uh, options related to that. Um, we got an update on the never-ending billboard situation. Um, as recommended by the BOE attorney in prior FFT discussions, Ms. Brooks stated that the district hired dynamic engineering at a cost not to exceed $3,800 to continue the approval process for the construction and use of a replacement billboard at Sharon uh, School. This is the billboard that uh, looks out onto the turnpike property. Uh, Ms. Brooks gave us an update on the difference card. Apparently, uh, there's a, it was an issue related to chiropractic and urgent care services and the stickers that were on the card maybe not being accurate. Um, the, the company will be on site next week to answer any, any specific questions and to disseminate updated difference card stickers for the insurance cards. Um, hopefully that will be the last time that's necessary. Um, during old business, uh, Mrs. Luciano wanted to know the, the status of disseminating an updated long-range facility plan. Uh, Ms. Brooks stated that a draft will be presented at the next FFT meeting. We also discussed starting a preliminary planning discussion on facility needs in light of additional stating. Um, and during new business, I discussed the company, uh, SG Residential, 
which uses shipping containers for building new spaces. Uh, currently, they use them for things like hotels, dorms, um, and actually small uh, retail spaces. Uh, they do actually also do projects at schools. Uh, we discussed the possibility of looking at this uh, project as a way to potentially lower costs to fund uh, the, the snack shack um, on the football field that has been a long uh, desired project, as well as an expansion to the weight room um, so that we could move the offices um, into a, an adjoining <coughs> space um, and be able to capture more of the weight room for uh, use of the students. Um, so more to be heard on that as we kind of develop that. Um, we adjourned and our next meeting will be October 17th. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Questions? Any idea what you think the cost of one of those containers? I had I, I, I dealt with them um, years ago we were talking about a new school expansion, um, and the same company was, was doing these type of things. And my understanding is that the cost, and this is just from previous conversations, the cost for these type of things is about one-third of, one-third of what the overall cost would be if you did buy a normal you know, <coughs> construction. Um, so this type of use, maybe, although it may not have been appropriate for an entire school project, although they do entire school projects, yeah. um, for something like small uses where we could get some expansion uh, capabilities, it might be the perfect Is there use for it. That you could yeah, I've got actually some, I actually ran into them in Dallas at a convention that I was at, uh, dealing with my industry, <coughs> and I just happened to be uh, presenting, and uh, they gave some materials, I'm happy to share with the board. Right, and Tom, aesthetically, it doesn't look like a shipping container, right? No, but basically what they do is they take the shipping container down to just its steel frame, and then they build it back up however you want. So they said that they can do something, whatever the aesthetic look of the existing structure or that you like, it can be as modern as you want, it can be as traditional as you want. Um, it really depends on the, the cost of what you want to plan it with mm -hmm. will determine what the cost of the project is. So it really is a, a means of creating a structure that provides the, the, the skeleton and not the facade. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a green activity that gets you lead status, which is always a nice thing. So. Okay, thank you. Other questions? We're thinking of shipping, a big shipping container <laughs> ship to the back to the uh, parking lot in the back. That's right. Exactly. Right. exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, next up, security, mm -hmm. Mr. Vice. Community relations. Community relations, I'm sorry.
football games at Vincent, the RHS SRO. Um, did the first one on September 14th. And we will also schedule a PSA spot for Craig <laughs> as well, since it was his idea. That's right. <laughs> we had a save the date. We have a save the date for our State of Our Schools, which will be held on Wednesday, November 14th. This year it will be held at Pond Road Middle School beginning at 6.30. There will be music performances and art displays, and this year's theme is school safety. We're planning a strategic planning process and steering committee. Kathy has sent out, sent out letters of interest to staff members as she develops her steering committee. Uh, letters will soon be sent to parents. Lisa and myself have both volunteered to serve in this process. Other agenda items include um, the committee wants to make sure that we, uh, we want to continue to communicate news and information and updates from the Transportation Department um, and being timely and proactive. So please keep your feedback coming to Dr. Foster. Um, there have been a few late buses for arrivals and dismissals so far this year, uh, but as Tom mentioned, Jen Freeman is working through these and keeping us updated. <coughs> the next meeting is on Tuesday, October 2nd at 5.30 p.m. Questions on the board? Dr. Foster, what's the uh, goal of the steering committee? Um, the strategic planning committee, I mean, I think um, it, it's time now to take a look um, at who we are currently and who we want to be. Um, so we'll probably project five years. So um, we'll look at, um, you know, really talking about vision casting. So we really want all the stakeholders involved in that. So we'll be probably doing focus groups and surveys. But I need uh, a team of people, a team of stakeholders to come together to take a look at the data, do a needs assessment of our current realities, and also um, forecast where we would like to be in five years. So we'll map, uh, create a, a map or a plan. Great. Mm -hmm. That's great. Any other questions? Mm -hmm. Seeing none, time for the hearing of the public. During the hearing, oh, I'm sorry, what did I miss? Okay, hearing the public. During the hearing of the public, the board invites the public to comment on matters pertaining to the Robinsville schools. Each participant is asked to provide his or her name and town of residence prior to making a statement, which shall be limited to three minutes. And we have a little timer here in front of me. Ms. Brooks will operate. Um, there will be no cross-dialogue during the hearing of the public. After all members of the public wishing to speak have done so, the board and or administration may address comments and or questions. So I open it up to the floor. Uh, Sheena Siakio, 9th Hearing Court. First, um, just some praise. So my son had started preschool a few weeks ago and is Bruno's teacher, and I've already noticed a difference in his speech. So my son would say things like, give me his toys to his brother, and now he says, my toys. Mm -hmm. So this is a really, I mean, it's not, I want to share, but I appreciate that he's now using personal pronouns. So I'm like, I really do see a difference just in a few weeks. So I think the program's doing um, great. And um, my question was just regarding, um, at, this was regarding policy applications is the current um is the current status now like is it just at federal poverty guidelines is that 
five for their families and they have nowhere to put their kids between that area of like three to five p.m. I just wanted to urge you guys to take a second look um, just at the red program guide. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Others? Hi, Michelle Kennedy Robinsville. Um, I have a couple of things. First of all, I want to thank you for that presentation. That was very, very good. Many, many years I'm coming in here, and that was one of the most fantastic things that you could have offered. As a person who questioned a lot, I learned a lot, and I want to thank you. The, um, and I want to say, Dr. Foster, you have lots of power. You do. <laughs> I know. I mean, all power to you. I love it. And then um, the next one that I wanted to talk to you is a um, question about the federal money that we are receiving. Would it be considered a negativity for on our part because of the park? Because if you are getting a negative sign on our part, on our report card, are they going to look at our, the money that they are giving us and they are going, it's going to be jeopardized. That's the first question. The second thing that I want to talk to you about is Mrs. Smith on RHS who's running the uh, child uh, development program for the students as a, um, one of the activities. This woman is the smartest woman that you could have hired and have here and being <laughs> hidden. And I really, really think if you guys want your teachers to learn and put more put ideas into work, ask Mrs. Smith to talk. In that 10 minutes that I had in the back to school night, it, she was just pure fantastic. All power to her. Yeah. And I told her that I would bring it to uh, up to your attention. <laughs> and the next thing that I wanted to talk to you um, about, um, please correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Holm, don't yell at me, but about that basketball field that they are going to build on the pond road. Um, is it a go? Is, are you guys doing it because you are getting a grant money, or is it going to be uh, cost because of the money that we are we just got? Are they going to give additional parking lot because the pond road cannot have additional parking place added to that because if there is no room? And then if it is, where are the kids are going to play when all those times that they are playing on that time and on that place that you're, you're going to put them inside? We like them to be outside and play around. So these are the questions that I have right now until this next participation. Thank you, and I am on time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anyone else? Vincent Costanza, C-O-S-T-A-N-Z-A, Union Street, uh, regarding the park uh, discussion. I know the comprehensive presentation is going to be next month, but gave us a data teaser, so <laughs> question. Uh, for 7th and 8th grade ELA are down, uh, is there anything specific that you could share before next month on uh, what are the areas within ELA? And I believe you mentioned some specific professional development of the district. Uh, what would that be? Look forward to the comprehensive presentation next mm -hmm. month. Thank yeah, you. be great. Thank you. Next. I work at um, I thought it was interesting having some of our presentations. Clearly, we're trying to do some more the extra funding we got. I thought it might be interesting in some of our minutes going forward, maybe trying to document that, right? Because we had a, a huge meeting of the public where we talked about all the things we could do with money and how much do we keep and how much do we give back. And maybe for us to be able to say, now that we've 
gotten it, now that we're making these decisions, these are all the extra things we've got. That might be a nice thing for us to document. These are all the extra teachers we got. This is the program we got. This is the thing we fixed. This is the thing that isn't gonna fall and kill someone. Mm -hmm. so, like, so those kinds of things might be a, a good thing for us to do. <coughs> Others? Chris Kaffer, Lake Drive, uh, I'll wave my transportation flag <laughs> yeah. and say um, kudos to Jen Freeman. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was happy to see a note giving an update on where we stand. I will say that I do have participated in some of the negative bus routes uh, this past year, um, but uh, much, much improved over where we were last year. So kudos to Jen on that. Um, the second thing is, is that once again, bus 21, it was an issue or issues continu continuing uh, on the bus. We received a note from the principal. Uh, we talked, uh, mentioned in previous meetings that the aides who met the bus were going to start to address those issues. The note from the principal made it sound like the entire bus was at fault. My children okay. do not want to ride the bus home now because of uh, feeling that they are being pressured and, and uh, not a good environment to explain to four year old, fourth graders why mm -hmm. Having done nothing wrong, why they're being mm -hmm. punished. punished. Uh, the second thing is, is that um, this was a great presentation tonight. I hope the board looks at it and says, "Hmm, uh, we we try and teach our children not to be bullies, but it's okay if our board members are." Um, it makes it a, a kind of a dual thing, uh, very difficult to explain to once again a fourth grader why we give them direction on, on how to act civilly among um, among their peers, but. We don't expect our, our parents and our leaders to do the same. Once again, I thank you for your time. Thank you. Alyssa Harris, Windsor, P-L-I-S-S. Um, the bus issue, um, we don't take a bus. We will provide a bus, but my son would have to leave at 6.15 in the morning to catch a bus, so I drive him. Um, the routes that are explained are actually very good. It's a good solution in the morning. Problem is there's no signage, so nobody knows what to do there. I know the parents have gone in what to do, and they're all confused. Um, a lot of talk on Facebook about what to do. The kids don't know. So that whole access road, when you're trying, so I come in through the one near um, Buckley Lane. So you loop around, and then I'm trying to get back on that access lane, and there are people going both ways on the access lane, so it's backing up the road coming out. And there's not supposed to be, from what I'm understanding, is nobody on that access road. The kids are supposed to come to the back, the adults go to the front, and there's not supposed to be backed up traffic, and it's always a problem. So I think maybe if there's some signage outside or something to direct, maybe even like at Pond Road and at the high school, there would be a lot more clear communication and less mistakes and less backup. Who does it on this? Um, the other thing that I want to propose, I know we have this money and you'd rather have all of it allocated. But um, as a drama parent, I would love to see our black box score mm -hmm. done. Mm. Right now, it is a problem, and I don't know if it's one of the things on the list. It's unsafe for the kids. The kids are doing exercises on the concrete floor. There's exposed, um, like the electric outlets are still exposed. And if they did a proper floor in the black box, we can actually rent out the space a little bit more and to make that money back with that but we have the dance recitals and the dances can't use them for practice because it's just not a floor that the dancers 
you very much. Other comments from the public? Okay. Motion to close public hearing. Second. Discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Moving on to minutes. I have a motion to approve the minutes of the following meetings. August, so August 28th, 2018. Second. Executive session. Oh. And, uh, August 28th, the public session minutes. So moved. Okay. Jane and Tom. Second. Second. Roll call. 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 Mr. Galuccio? Yes. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Mr. Vice? Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Yes. Six, motion carries. Okay, thank you. Moving on to resolutions, can I have a motion to approve personal items A.1 through 14? Second. Discussion? Miss D? Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Coluccio? Yes. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Yes. Motion carries. It's an attachment. Can I have a motion to approve resolutions of education development policy B.1 through 10? In C. When we get to C. Okay. Discussion? Oh, we're in PD? Yeah, we're in PD. There is an adjustment to PD. Um, it is um, item number nine. It is um, for Rich Young for the New Jersey School Board Convention. Sent, um, convention. Um, that amount should have been 328.50, not 87.50. So I just would like a motion to update that. So moved. Second. 328.50. Discussion? Questions? Roll call, please. Uh, Ms. D? Can I just ask one clarification? Are we voting to amend? Yes. This, this is about just to amend. That one so item. Yes. Correct. Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Galuccio? Yes. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Abstain. Motion carries. It is now amended. Okay. Going back to the original <coughs> motion to approve. Ed. B1. B1 through 10. Second. Discussion? Do we all have to abstain on number nine? Doctrine of necessity. This is the school board convention. No. no. Okay. I wasn't doing anyway, so. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a professional development expense, even though it involves you guys. That's a good question, but you don't have to abstain. Okay, thank you. <coughs> yeah. Should we reload? No. no. 
Oh, we, no, we didn't vote yet. Oh, did you? We yeah. just voted to We're amend. Just, just to oh, amend. Uh, yeah, you can vote now. Okay. Just normal course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Roll call, please. Miss D? Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Galicia? Yes. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Yes. Motion carries. And then we have an addendum for, for uh, the next section. Can I have a motion to approve the addendum for C, Finance, Facilities, and Transportation, item C.1 through 3? Should I read it, or do we need to read it now? You, we should. It's um, one. It's one M. One M. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would you Being like me to read it? Resolved that the Robles Board of Education, upon recommendation of the superintendent, approve finance facilities and transportation resolutions C.1-3 as indicated. And we're approving a professional services contract contract for Edput 8, which Mr. Holmes spoke about during his committee meetings on finance facilities and transportation. Questions? Just to point out that the amount of the contract is for $10,095 um, and does not include the separate monitoring services, which uh, I had to just discuss separately. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. So we have, we have, but have, we have a motion. Just a vote to add just this to the agenda. Right? Yes, that's Correct. what it is. Roll call, please. Ms. D? Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Uh, Galuccio? Yes. Mr. Hahn? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Yes. Motion carries. So now it's the move to C1 through 3? Yes. Motion to approve finance facilities and transportation items C.1 through 3. So <laughs> Discussion? Roll call, please. Ms. D? Yes. Mrs. DeVito? Yes. Mr. Galuccio? Yes. Mr. Hom? Yes. Mrs. Temple? Yes. Two, one, and three, and staying two. Mr. Vice? Yes. Mrs. Luciano? Yes. Mr. Young? Yes. Motion carries. Okay. Can I have a motion to approve transportation? Items. So moved. Is that separate? Though? No, that's no, the same. We're done. We're done. We're good. We're good now. Yeah, usually there's red. Yeah. Can we add a red? <laughs> <laughs> We're actually on here. Second, yeah. the second hearing to the public. Time for our second hearing to the public. Uh, during the hearing to the public, the board invites the public to comment on matters pertaining to the Robinson schools. Each participant is asked to provide his or her name and town of residence. Prior to making a statement, which shall be limited to three minutes. There will be no cross dialogue during the hearing of the public. After all, members of the public wishing to speak have done so. The board and or administration may address comments and or questions. I open up again to the floor. Um, the Pond Road, and I, you guys could have addressed 
process in the last one, and I wasn't here. The whole curriculum change where the kids are now not able to, and I think this fit in the past too, not able to choose between the different electives and band or that style. Um, that's one of the things that I'm just curious why that keeps becoming an issue. Um, the kids should have access, I think, to both. Um, and the other thing um, which I've looked up, and, and this may not be an issue, but our township, the number of unexcused absences that high schoolers are allowed to have is eight days. <coughs> We're surrounding districts, namely Western and Princeton, are 13 and 8, 19 days. And <coughs> not that I want my kid missing that many days in a school year, I get that, but at the same time, the kids are aware of that Other members of the public? I'm Michelle Cannon. I was going to ask you guys that um, I was first going to say thank you, Dr. Fox, so she got back to me and she answered um, some of the questions that and some of the uh, concerns that I had. And uh, I don't know the question that I have that is it going to be publicly announced or you guys just want me to pass on the information that I received? And um, you, would you guys like trust me as the receiver to give that information to people who are asking me? So I'm Shane as Shane. Just her kidding, head, but you know, but, but this is it, um, that's one of my first questions that I have from you guys. And um, <coughs> also, I was going to um, ask you guys that the curriculum that you guys have for the reading and writing, and um, for the especially for the 12th graders, that um, I was told that their teacher did.
Christie. Uh, I guess a simple question, do we have one? Uh, and I ask because it was reported yesterday uh, the school district of Wayne uh, joined a long list of school districts um, having a no homework over the weekend policy. Many of our uh, um, neighboring districts have similar policies. Uh, some of them are much more comprehensive than that during um, certain times. They do this because there's virtually no research uh, that homework, especially in the way that it's traditionally done, has any kind of educational benefit. Um, and also because it gets in the way of whole child learning. Uh, if you're just getting homework on math and literacy, which is typical, uh, but yet in school you're talking about social emotional learning and approaches to learning and persistence, like the things we have on the up to fifth grade or mm -hmm. report card, uh, kind of gets in the way. That's why these school districts have chosen that course of action. Uh, so I'm curious whether we have a universal policy on homework. Thank you. Okay. Others? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, Aaron Hobart, 18 Mallsbury. I just kind of wanted to echo what you had reminded me. That came up a couple times in back to school night with the teachers where they had mentioned um, how homework was very kind of specifically, they weren't doing much anymore, which is a, a change for I think a lot of us. But then following up with, because as you know, all the research says it doesn't really help. And so it was really refreshing to see like where taking some of the new steps towards newer trends and ideas in teaching, and these are the changes we're making, and this is why. So I thought it was very refreshing to kind of hear that people are doing that and, and why they're doing it. And I, uh, uh, a humorous note, I just wanted to say you were talking about maybe an election, an elective coming up. I just want to say I don't like what you picked, and you should have picked something different. <laughs> I want to get my complaint in first. <laughs> before everyone else complains about it. So I just don't want to say it. <laughs> Homework sounds like a good column for the Robinsville Advance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We've written about that homework before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have. We can revisit. Okay. Good. Other comments or questions? I just want to think about the unspent merit. She does like the left. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
upstate. Um, so piggyback on this, you know, I hear all, all these complaints. Can you say your name again, sir? No. Anand. So, you know, again, like, you know, I, I oftentimes I hear about this busing situation, um, right? You know, and I think it's a safety issue. Um, the cars are backed up. Of course, you know, we are on provinces with disabilities commensurately. So I think, you know, we should take as a district, look at holistic, right? You know, the data has changed, population has changed, uh, dynamics has changed in the last 10 or 15 years. This is supposed to be a walking community. I hear it loud and clear. But things have changed, so maybe we should look at it. Not only now, so we, we can all day long protect inside the schools, right, you know, with the clear cases and things. But outside, you know, we had tragedies within the same school district. So I think, you know, we should at some point look at it as a holistic in terms of, in terms of the, not only financial issues, like, you know, the safety, security, all of this. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Other members of the public? Seeing none, can I have a motion to close? Second. Second. Discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. All business? I guess I would like to uh, just, there were a couple of comments from people in the audience that I would like to also hear about. The, I also heard about the Bus 21 letter that went to all kids um, and uh, was addressed to all kids as opposed to the kids that were misbehaving on the bus and how the younger kids really took it mm -hmm. to heart. So I think we should kind of look into that. And then um, I also am very curious to understand the change in the essays for seniors. I've heard this from a number of um, senior parents saying that they had counted on that because that's what's been done. And now there's, they're feeling like behind the eight ball because all of a sudden the curriculum changed. And I, I can speak for that. Yeah. Um, here, here's our frustration. A couple years ago, we got feedback from parents saying that when we did the essay unit in the fall, it was already too late that they had to start writing the essays in the summer for early admission or rolling admission. So then we changed it, and there's been some, you know, it, it's people giving up pieces of their curriculum. So there's been, you know, it, it's been hard for some teachers, and so we finally shifted last year. The, the juniors, every junior class went through writing the college essay mm -hmm. process. Every class, every student. Um, unless they were new to the district this year when they moved in the seniors. So now we're experiencing kids who are like, well, I didn't like what I wrote about back in the spring okay. anymore. Um, so we did universal college essays. Yeah, so now Molly and I just talked about this yesterday. It's like, how do we win here? You know, we want yeah. kids to be able to get their college essays done. We love the idea of them going into summer not stressed out about the college essay and getting feedback from those junior teachers and, and getting set up for success for it. Um, but then we see, like, you know, they, they can change their mind. There is some wait time there. So we talked about, you know, do they do like a quick one week, one week clinic? you know, the first week or two of school to kind of provide some feedback at the senior year if kids need it. Um, we, we can gladly do that, but I just don't want it to take up nine weeks of the curriculum right. senior year and in junior year. Like, that's not the point. We want them writing a lot because they're gonna be writing a lot in college the next year. So we're still figuring it out because we're, we're trying to appeal to both sides, but it's hard to make everybody happy, to be honest with you. But, it, but I guess what I did not hear mm -hmm. from the people who told me was that their kids had a unit in junior year. Every, okay. Yeah, Molly Thank and I you. confirmed that yesterday. Thank you for explaining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
uh, last thing was um, the universal homework policy. I guess mm -hmm. I would, I, I you know, uh, as a parent, experience the um, parodies of one person gets a ton of homework, the other person gets very little homework, mm -hmm. or <coughs> one teacher gets a lot of homework, another teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I would just ask at policy maybe kind of relook at this again and just make sure that. Any idea what our peers do in terms of the college essay? Uh, what our peers do in terms of the college essay? Um, we're unique in that we provide so much yeah, support they, for the they college essay. When they I came here, I was shocked. They don't teach the yeah. college essay. You don't teach, yeah. it's on your own. It's the you they have the college, and teachers. they have workshops. Yeah, they have workshops, but it's not in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. no. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I think, am I allowed to say something? Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The policy. So my, I think the underlying comment for me is what is the purpose of homework? Yeah. I think that across the board is the question. What is the purpose? And is there value? Well, right, right. I mean, I, I have my own ideas, but um, is it new material? Is it just to check to see if the kids garnered the skill in the math? During this? I taught you this today in class. Here's 15 problems. Did you get the skill? So I think that's a really broad decision that you can start in policy and then go out to the whole board really because we're all parents and we all raise kids. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a great idea. I think you know we can definitely start, take a stab at it. I just think once again we're not going to make everyone happy. Right. For every complaint I get about too much homework, I get other complaints about too much not enough. homework. So when we talk about universal, we just have to be very careful and like we can maybe come up with some like no homework over the weekends or over long breaks, which is sort of like some of the guidelines we have in place right now, which I think are very fair and doable. But, and, and listen, Kathy and I, we, we both believe in the whole child. We, we, we get it. And I don't want anyone having five hours of homework. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I just think we just have to be very broad in, in these guidelines or this universal homework policy because you're not going to make everyone happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could I just, um, in hearing the comment about the parking lot, I actually, um, Love to learn from FFPTers who go out and take a look at that um, parking lot, particularly in Sharon. Um, during parent pickup, you don't know which way to drive down the roads. There are arrows; they're very faded. You, or it's very narrow to drive into the parking spaces. Um, if they, you, this happened to me. There was a car with a, a hitch on the back, or something on like a bike rack on the back. They were able to big car to begin with. They extended all the way into the um, into the driveway or the roadway, and it completely blocked traffic until it came and moved over. It was crazy. It um, it just something doesn't feel great back there, and maybe it just is really just painting, you know, mm -hmm. brighter arrows on. Maybe it's blocking space. Something back here is not a hundred percent. I can right. tell you that one of the things during the walkthrough, at least you were on the walkthrough that we talked about, was restriping and repainting that back parking lot. Mm -hmm. uh, which absolutely needs some help. Mm -hmm. um, we have funds to be able to do that. It's part of that plan mm -hmm. um, as far as long-range facility plans mm -hmm. and things like that go. Um, it's certainly something that's being taken a look at. Um, I know that we have talked also about ways to potentially expand parking mm -hmm. over, at, especially at Sharon School, um, with respect to, it may come at the expense of trees, 
um, it may come at the expense mm -hmm. of acquiring additional property if necessary, mm -hmm. but there's options over there. We just have to see as a committee and then as a board uh, what the costs of that would be and then kind of give a, a recommendation back. I mean, we, we always will look at those things and we're happy to look at it. It's a little bit of a crossover between safety uh, because there's some safety issues, um, you know, SROs getting involved in, in moving people who are not appropriately parked there. I think that's a great idea. And then what can we do to make facility improvements in a challenging uh, parking lot facility at a building, especially at Sharon's, but a building where every child has got a seat on a bus. Mm -hmm. Parents are choosing mm -hmm. to, to drive their children or pick their children up, unlike the folks who walk to Palmer Middle School um, or who walk to the high school. Um, those are very different situations. Mm -hmm. Oh, and for new board members, we did, how long ago did we do that? We asked the Sharon School parents if they would be willing to give up their seat on the bus. Mm -hmm. You got zero. Mm -hmm. Right. Are we, are we even allowed to do that? You can. We to actually were able to. We were able to basically say if you wanted to, to waive Forfeit. your seat. You can. Um, you can. It was a back in the day. It was a cost saving measure uh, to see if we could fund other bus seats for in other places. Um, and we. This is Devito's right. There was no. Nope. Nobody no was willing to give up no the seat takers. because they wanted the ability to say, well, if I need the bus in an emergency. Um, right. you know, I can't get to the school on time. Um, I want to be able to have the flexibility. It's too rainy out. I want to have the flexibility of the, the bus seat, right. um, even though it would come at a, a cost to mm -hmm. yep. Maybe the board, can or a few of us can organize a look at the exit each day. See it for ourselves. Because I've been seeing and hearing a lot, a lot of discussion on social media about this. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too part of it is we have what was that ninth grade class? Three hundred and twenty kids mm -hmm. moving into the high school. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a significant amount of more students <laughs> moving in there with parents driving. And they may not be aware of what's the going the, the, right. which way to go. Correct. Yeah. We've changed some things. So. Yeah. I think the other issue this year at Karen is they're holding they're blocking parents from leaving until all the buses go.
send it to Dr. Foster and mm -hmm. <coughs> your relationship. Yeah, should we send that out? Is, is she not sending that to everyone? Or no, she can't. Well, you have it. I have it. it. I can send it. Yeah, just yeah. send it to the board then. Okay. Because Thank I you. think PTA last year did a bike safety presentation because the guy reached out to the foundation and he said that's not our wheelhouse, so we sent it to PTA. To mm -hmm. And did you use this program? This um, greater Marston? I don't, I don't know who it was. I what, can't remember. What does TMA stand for? I don't know. I have looked on the website. It's like a trail. Like <laughs> transportation <laughs> association of some sort. Yeah. Mm. Um, hmm. Trail they, they, they also work on all of like the trails, like um, joining, like. There's a a big push countywide to have connectivity yeah, yeah, yeah. between the various municipalities. Sometimes using old railroad lines. Like you can volunteer to like things. help clean up the yeah. trails. I, it's I've never even heard of it, and it said it's been in existence for like mm. you know, twenty some years. So I don't know how. I don't know how that helps. I'll send it around. Sure. Can we please buy a better recording device than the <laughs> horrible little uh, tape machine that Corpus Brooks is constantly trying to get to work um, so that our meetings can be yes. properly recorded? I don't know what the cost of it is. But no, we're working it is, on it. It's, it's, it's an upload a, issue on what the device can do and not do. Just, right. just I, get I, I agree. I see, Corpus, I see Ms. McKenna running around trying to get more batteries for this horrible little thing. Um, and it never seems to uh, work. And then we have people accusing us of not having open meetings um, because we're not posting the audio recordings on the right. site. And the reason is half the time the audio recording isn't available right. because it yes. stops recording in the middle of the thing. I think we can find something. So we post what we can, though, right? We post what we can, but a lot of times interesting and important things that yeah, board it, members yeah. say don't often don't yeah, show up true. because it's the end of the meeting it's when we true. get to say anything. Um, yeah. And the result of that is people in the community misreport what is being yeah. said by board That's members. Absolutely. It's easy to twist things when you're not true. able to show what it is based on a audio I think that's 1960s technology. <laughs> it might be. Probably, probably. We can do a little better. <laughs> we can yeah. do a little better. Okay. Any other new business? Hearing none, can I have a motion to adjourn? So Second. All in favor? Aye. Hey. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah, it was so hard.